Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There we go. Jesus Christ. Okay, are we past that part yet? Can you see me now? No, no, no visual. <laughs> Why would there be? Of course. Why would there be? Got, there we go. There we go. Okay, yeah. so it's got to be on that thing. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put a little razzle dazzle, whatever that does. Hi. Now we, we have both. We're cooking on gas. We're in this is a great conversation. I'm sure that this is, you know, they're transcribing this and people are realizing, that, you know, this is groundbreaking philosophical stuff we're getting into here. Yeah, we're getting really to the heart of what matters in life, which is connection. And now we just are connected. And yeah, and how you look and how you sound. I just this second, well, not this second, but, you know, five minutes ago, literally just got off uh, another one of these with your old cohorts, uh, Noodles and Dexter from The Offspring. I was hosting like a live Q&A with a pair of them to celebrate the release of their new album. Oh, they're they, told, yeah, they're trying to beat their neighbors, too. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, they, they live right down where you are. They Well, they asked me to pass on their regards, but they can just get around the house and, and do it themselves if they're that I close. With me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm about the closest thing to a hermit that uh, is a uh, you know performing musician or, or whatever you call that. They got the Howard Hughes uh, uh, jeans, I think. Was that, pre- was that pre-COVID, Warren? Were you like that before all of this? Oh, no, I was, I was always, always kind of prone to uh let's just say well i work from home and i and i definitely am in my own head enough that i can be alone for a long time i found out my threshold on this past year like how far i can go and it's pretty far but it's also once you hit that threshold for someone like me too where you're like oh wait i want to be around people that's weird okay it kind of fucks you up in a way that you hadn't really planned for <laughs> that's the scariest thing about this whole year is realizing i want to be actually near other people 
<laughs> yeah. The first day I was like, oh my God, all my social anxiety, this cured social anxiety better than any pill you ever could. I'm like, that's great. I have no social engagements. I have nothing to be anxious about. I'll sit here and stare at fucking TV and, you know, eat pizza rolls, but, uh, or pain stuff. But my God, a year later, I think it's just, I think it's also the fact that thinking it's over and kind of thinking we haven't, humanity hasn't really learned the lesson it was, it should, should have, you know what I mean? We're still stupid. Yeah, man. Like, well, for me in in this time i've come to learn so much about myself and have i think gone exactly. on quite an important journey of self-discovery and reflection and there's so much that's come to light that wouldn't Excellent. have come to light without this thing and so you I have agree. to try and I'm, get the best you're out one of the situation. you're one of the two camps there's two camps you're the one of the, and i'm with you on that one you are the sabbatical like this is a moment a learning moment that's excellent and then the rest of it, like, hey, this is a moment to get extra stupid. So in a weird way, almost like it's a resource, like uh, insight, wisdom. There's only so much of it. And you took, we took some of it and the other people were stupider now. It's crazy. Yeah. The other half, the other camp just want to resume to the way things were before, don't they? As if nothing happened. To like bang. Normal. And the new, you say, you know what? Normal always fucking sucks. If it's normal, it's average. If it's average, it's fucking standard. It's well, who gives a, if you're excited about that um why be a person you know be a fucking uh i don't know be, be a uh, statue and yeah. just be there you know because otherwise you know you're not doing it there's no highs and lows or yeah don't get me started that's just uh, <laughs> uh oh, well, this, well, is, this is being cabin fever it's kind of like the shining i guess so <laughs> we'll go in well there's so many things i want to get into and to, you know discuss with you Absolutely. i just i just spoke to emily yesterday as well and just have have kind of i haven't had the physical copy in my hands but i've read oh, yeah. from 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 front to end the pdf version of your brilliant new book um and it obviously taps into you know creativity and being a human being in this oh, time it's a perfect absolutely. exploration and reflection of what we've been going through and emily sort of said to me that she doubt there it is hell yeah it exists because of this year yes it exists. You, you'd agree copy. with that, right? It's because of this time that you were given at the this, time to. At, it's and it's a classic kind of situation. It's one of the situations like the Stoics, you know, the Stoics or the um, uh, the, the Taoists or whatever. That are like, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Like it is, you know. And obviously, this book would not have happened had it not been for a world pandemic, which is a sentence two years ago would have been unfathomable, mm. you know. So moving forward, now, yeah. You can't do A, B, and C, and D, and D. So you you do B. You do bibliotech. It looks incredible, <laughs> and 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 I mean, some of the characters you have involved, we'll we'll get there. But before, I'd like to go way back and I guess trace your roots through early childhood into your early stages of creativity. When do you first, you know, pick up an instrument or a brush or you know a rock or whatever it is, and, and start to toy around with expression? Do you remember? That is, a, it's, that's it is actually, it's funny because it was it's my earliest memories. Some of my, my earliest memories are uh, scribbling in, in, in like books, like old books, just with a Crayola or crayon or whatever you pronounce it. I'm not sure what the English version is. Yeah, uh, Crayola will do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A spectrum maybe, yeah. Uh, and just like feverishly uh, scribbling every page of every, and, and like and feeling like I was getting so much done. It was so satisfying, you know? And that was me like maybe two, maybe barely potty trained, but that, and I, it was funny. I had a, it flooded back to me years later when I saw a book and I would open up and go, holy shit, it's all scribbled. I go, oh, wait, I did that. And I would, this is my theory, which I haven't heard any um, uh, neuroscience uh, or um, 
uh, developmental studies on the idea that, you know, like the Noam Chomsky, the idea that we are wired, hardwired to speak, you know, and we babble as babies. Mm-hmm. And any baby put anywhere is, is a blank slate. It could speak any language, whether it's clicks or whether it's Mandarin, it doesn't matter. Every that's what humans do. And we do it naturally. We do it. We do it. No one has to teach us. We're just around it. We soak it in. I think doodling is the other equivalent of the artistic impulse that says, hey, this is not a language. Everyone doodles, you know, and kind of in the same way you babble, which is, you know, you kind of just even people that are very much like, oh, I'm not creative. They tend to, you know, it's kind of like twiddling your thumbs, but it's kind of this impulse to say, I have something to say visually that there's not words for maybe, you know? So that that's, a, I think that getting in tune with that is, is what you're, it's, you're intended to do that mentally, I think. And so if you, to go against it is probably not great to go with it is probably going to make you slightly either healthier, balanced, or I don't know, psychic or be able to levitate something. It's going to... <laughs> I think it's a natural thing that we do that is puts art up there with language and language is a big fucking deal, you know? Yeah. There seems to be, there seems to be a point in a lot of our lives when we're discouraged from that moment on to create because it's child's play. And a lot of people think, okay, "Okay, it's time to put down the pen or the guitar out and and grow up and And become an adult. (laughs) It's interesting to make that call because the person that almost every, I would guarantee everyone making that call had that call made upon them at earlier on, just in the same way, like say, um, I don't know, beating the crap out of your kids. People that do that generally were beat the crap out of by their parents when they were kids. You know, it's, it's the cycle of bullshit. And until someone actually says, Oh, you know what? Let me not do this. I know we've been doing it. It's kind of a rich, important tradition. We all, you know, our terrible parents and so on and so forth, but maybe we'll stop because it feels weird. You know, it just takes one generation to kind of go, oh, never mind. We've been doing this since caveman days, but it's actually not benefiting us. Yeah. So I think the artistic thing is, you know, it's frowned upon because it's frivolous, but it's also, you know what else is frivolous? <laughs> Living it makes no, you know, what is, is there any point to this? Where you're going to make money, you're going to have in a graveyard. There's no point to this to act like that's important somehow because there's money or fucking, I don't know, structure involved is such a delusion that you're teaching your children the stupidest shit in the world. So, Amen. I agree with that. Yeah, it's all just like a kind of crazy game, isn't it? And the trick is to try and ride it out and enjoy it and engage with it and experience yes. it. What and, does and- matter? What does matter? It's a simple question. What does matter? Uh, probably not most of the stupid shit that we're oriented around, but probably... You know, it's a deathbed thing Like when they're like, oh, well, you know, I wish I had done more of this or less of that or thank God I did this. That thought is, you know, you know, meditate on that for a minute. Anyone. And I think you'll find out what matters to you. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, it's spoiler alert. I'm not going to tell you, but I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. Well, I've been through those times and I think some people get depressed or saddened or bummed out by the mention of death. But for me, I like to try and I like to try and be a little bit aware of it every day. So I feel alive. It is the idea. See, this is one of the greatest sources of pain we have in our entire culture. And this is me has nothing to do with art, whatever it kind of does. The greatest source of pain. One of them is trying to uh, prevent others or yourself from going through pain. So therefore, the idea of saying like, well, if we talk about this idea, like this idea of death, it's going to be a bum out. It's going to make us sad. So let's not do it. And then basically, ultimately, you live like you're going to live forever, like an idiot. And then when you finally do, you're caught so off guard and you've never had an opportunity to be reflective and maybe not make the choices that would make uh, 
your life feel utterly meaningless, you know? Amen. And to be morbid, like what over, you know, morbidity, like, oh, don't say that. That's morbid. This is the weirdest kind of, you know, it's like saying, oh, well, don't breathe in here because this is a, I don't know, God's oxygen or something. It seems it's such a weird thing to still like act like it's not okay to do. Not doing it is killing us in a weird way. <laughs> Always address the elephant in the room, right, Warren? Always. That's I love the, elephants that's in rooms. I love elephants and eggshells. I love elephants dancing on eggshells in a room and a 300 pound gorilla like they're, uh, you know, uh, with a, you know, with China and bulls and all that kind of shit. I, I love all of those mixed metaphors sitting there where it's just a house of cards and showing up just like my Mr. Bean personality and knocking it all over. That's the most satisfying thing I could do. It's the only thing I'm probably actually truly good at is maybe uh, wrecking very delicate balances that some people might have had in their life. <laughs> already i love this um you have great energy and a great perspective and yeah what a pleasure it is to connect with you who were some of the early people in your life that encouraged or nurtured or championed that creative artistic energetic side of you do you have certain friends or family members or mentors that spring to mind from early on my parents god bless them are were you know they're weirdos i mean they're self you know self what do you call that um uh self-acknowledgement or there's a word for the self-recognizing uh weirdos my dad's a physicist you know he works with space programs total nerd loves i mean spreadsheets is his favorite thing in the world that that's like heroin to him my mom's like you know similar ocd elements they would play yahtzee on if you know that game with you know you play five dice they would play up to a million when they first met each other they're very kind of quirky and they love monty python and they love tom lear and they love comedy and all sorts of interesting things uh, you know, from the 60s and 70s, by the time I came around, that it was very much around the house. And humor is a big one. I think if, you're, if your parents, uh, or, you know, if you don't, if no one's funny in your family, it's hard to fucking, I think it's hard to be okay, you know? Yeah. But uh, they were funny. They were creating, you know, my dad loved classical music. He liked to, you know, like they definitely were fans of the arts and stuff. And I decided at age six, I was going to play guitars. Like, and I did it. Like, you know, Unlike the other uh, people that are going to be astronauts and cowboys at age six, they're all, yeah, and they change their mind. I, I stuck with it. I'm still sticking with it. So, Yeah, that's another thing, isn't it, is people do ask you when you're that age and, and the career choice that you often go with is, of course, going to be a dream job. You know, you, very few people, I think, go, if you could be anything in the world, what, and they go postman. It's like, well, maybe some yeah, people want to be that. But... Assistant. I, just, I feel that I'd really be helpful in, in a situation in the bathroom with someone needed wrenches. Yeah, exactly. No, it's never going to be something practical. That's what's awesome about kids. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing, one of the few things that's awesome about kids. Just kidding. Um, yeah. And, and when you go with that kind of mantra of, yeah, I want to be this and I'm never going to give up, I'm going to see it through, um, yeah. when does when does it start taking off for you when do you start playing in in bands and connecting with people on a musical level in the my, is, it, is it Huntington Beach six, you grew up yeah Huntington Beach and so at age six at kindergarten when I decided okay the neighbor older neighbor played me uh David Bowie's uh Panic in Detroit and Sir in Heaven those two songs I go okay I'm, and he played guitars and taught me some chords I'm like oh I'll definitely do this this is my thing so we got an acoustic guitar so I was definitely claiming to be a guitar player uh, before I knew anything and like show and tell in kindergarten, I, you know, brought in like a you know, record and lip sync to it. Like, you know, but fucking kindergartners don't know the difference. Like I, I <laughs> and so that was like me going, okay, this is what I do. And, and it wasn't until about junior high school. I remember in fifth grade auditioning for the talent show and being, I'd already been taking lessons for about four years, but 
apparently my singing was or whatever was whatever i tried to do a Beatles song they were like no um, we're going to spare you the agony of probably being made fun of for the rest of your life for however this plays out like i guess it was bad i wish i had a time machine to see how much i sucked then but <laughs> junior high school punk rock i discovered it you go okay this is great because this is not just weirdos this is a do-it-yourself weirdos saying you know uh what's 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 more important than First of all, you can cuss in your lyrics. If you're already a weirdo and you're kind of an outcast anyway, it allows you to own that, uh, you know, outsiderness. You're like, okay, well, fuck you. I don't want to be in a stupid club anyway because I got my own. We got mohawks and we dance around in circles and we do glorious things unlike you people. So punk rock is a life, you know, total game changer. And uh, from that point on, the best thing there was like, I actually had a musical background, but you know, you start bands with anyone who just, okay, you're next to the bass, so why don't you play bass? It, there was definitely no bar set, and I'd started through Led Zeppelin, which is definitely not traditionally punk, you know, and classical music, too. So I just became more and more excited about it, and once I discovered music theory by about age 13 or 14, uh, I realized music is just is endlessly fascinating outside. Of, I mean, there's words for everything, and... Uh, you know reading music and stuff like that is just i got sucked into that i really like that so and orchestration all that kind of shit just all the creepy stuff in music all the weird minutia that most people are most musicians are illiterate yeah you, know, you, you, you were learned and you'd studied but you also just loved and connected to the raw energy of punk the truth of punk it by choice if not by not by default uh-huh and that that to me is like it's you know people being punk fans or people can be in like whatever i suppose maybe a I'm trying to think of something like a sports equivalent to that i don't know like you have some shortcoming that you have to be on a special team or whatever to do your activities whatever that may be it's kind of like you know or you know beginner's math or whatever so basically yeah it's uh you know it's, it's, it's an entry-level kind of a musical thing not to say that there's not amazing punk rock music you know very musical punk rock music at times very intuitively done but I am a fan of, uh, I like being able to have words for things because if I don't, I start to doubt they exist. So that's, that's my psychoanalysis of self, I suppose. Who were the first groups you started playing with that were really, you know, kind of would be known or w w were doing stuff because you didn't join the Vandals till 1990, right? So you must have oh, well, been busy for a while with other things before I actually them. Did, joined in 88 and they, they had been around for a while. I had local bands and... See, being in Southern California, like, uh, you know, you have it's the kind of sentiment, particularly in the 80s, was like you start a band and if there's some sort of interest, uh, you know, like locally, people wanting to see you, whatever the hell it is, is getting signed. So it was kind of this. I went through a lot of bands. Well, actually, you know what? I was in a punk rock band from age 15 to age uh, like almost 18 uh, doing touring, like touring the United States uh, from age 15. So I'd done. There's a band called Don't Know, and it was on Mystic Records. And, you know, No Effects was on the same level. It's funny. This is No Effects. I've known those guys since I was in that band, 1984, when I joined. And No Effects was like this band that everyone felt, I, I certainly felt bad for them. I was like, these guys, they're, they're terrible. It's so, I mean, even for <laughs> punk rock, yeah. I was like, I'm like, and they're so, they're so excited about it. They're so enthusiastic, but um, I feel like, you know, they might need an intervention because, like, you know, classic me couldn't have been more wrong. I, and that's happened a few times. But 
but nobody would have known right because even from the first two albums that they released and you're probably talking way before even then there was no signs that there was going to be an even vaguely good it was pretty substandard even for punk rock yeah. and and which is and obviously you know that's it's interesting because Scott Mike's you know really good I've known him forever and he's a certainly a you know somewhat he's quirky and whatever but it's very cerebral too and we, like talking like the fact that what he's accomplished as a uh, musician and as a writer and as a kind of like a, you know, kind of reinventing the wheel to some degree as far as punk rock being a legitimate working career you can do and not have to have, you know, hits and so on and so forth. It's pretty, that's something else. You know, I mean, obviously bad religion. There's a lot of bands that kind of fit in that, but no effects to have a particularly unique, the fact that they're humor oriented too is probably, you know, like why they hold a special place, you know, more relatable to me than say, uh, uh, what's a band like that that's popular? I don't know. So, some band on Epitaph that would be like, it's awesome, but maybe not, you know. Like wacky. Rancid. Thank you. R- Rancid, great example. Love Rancid. Not, you know, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not for example, they're not, they're, they're, yeah, it's not novelty songs. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's more, you know. The other, the other amazing thing about Mike, which I'm sure there'll be a connection with you after learning about you know your involvement in in the, the the punk rock and paintbrushes project which is now i'm learning of quite a mouthful is cre- oh, yes. creatively um he's he's i think the best creative businessman in punk because what he continues to do is reinvent the wheel of how to like express not just his thoughts through music but the book that they did the documentary series yes, the, it, yeah the musical he's, he's, he's always coming he's up with new ideas yeah yeah, I, I agree. And that's that's actually and that is interesting because he, and he's also good at business in the sense like he's one of those people that just like I'm terrible with money. Like I like, you know, I, I figure like the way I would always justify I'm like, well, I guess I'm artsy. So maybe I'm just like not great at bank account stuff. Uh, you know, he's great at both. And he's it's, which is to me is like. I don't know how much room you have left in your head that at some point, like I need I kind of need to like like be mad, bad at with money to be chaotically enough to create the things <laughs> i mean it's like a it's a uh, savant thing you know you can do something really good but it's, you got to shuffle shit over from the other part of your brain that might you might need you know yeah there's only so much room at the end <laughs> actually was, I, I, that's one of my theories you know someone's really really good at something they're usually really really bad at something that most people are good at <laughs> how when you guys all first get together as what's now considered the classic lineup in the vandals did you mm-hmm. know you were onto something special? Because it is a really unique mix of creatives and personalities who it's, just have so much talent in their respective lanes. And together, it was, I mean, it must have at that time. I haven't seen you guys live ever. I hope to see you when you come over oh, to the Punk and Joblik thing, you know, this year. But, I mean, it just, it must have been such an explosive. Well, it's interesting because the band had been, I remember first hearing the Vandals. I was 13 years old in eighth grade and then the first DP came out. So they were probably like 18. Like Joe is about five years older than me. At that point, it was Joey and, you know, a whole other band, the, the three of us that had been in the band for whatever, 30 years almost now. Uh, so it was kind of a hand-me-down. It was an interesting situation to where I filled in around 1988. At that point, I was like, you know, 20 or so. And, uh, you know, the, the Vandals kind of had this pop, you know, kind of this weird radio kind of popularity uh, locally. Uh, you know, it's just a bizarre story, like how it's unfolded. They have a couple of novelty songs that that were very distinctly about punk rock and kind of 
they managed to be somewhat popular, but then they imploded and they got another singer at that point, which is Dave. And it basically kind of put out a country record. We just like, weren't sure what the fuck to do at that point. That's when I joined and I was like, yeah, we can have fun. Uh, the drummer we have now is maybe not uh, great. I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer snob. So I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> you know, but, you know, Joey's the original drummer. He was a terrible, I mean, he, interesting, you know, style perhaps, but certainly as far as his actual skills, yeah, he was, was not a um, solid drummer. He was, he was, you know, except he was like no early no effects drumming. <laughs> but uh, uh, once we got Josh, I joined the band and, and I, me and Josh had worked out of the projects. Like he was introduced by a studio owner. He's all, you got to meet this kid. He loves Ramones, blah, blah, blah. And the replacements and, He's just like you, man. Like you know, like this, you know, 40 year old, some guy that owns the studio. I'm like, okay, sure. That's going to be a weird, awkward thing, but why not? And sure enough, it was Josh. And like, I'm like, wow, you're right. This guy. Okay. And you know, Josh is still one of my, one of my best friends, you know, uh, before he was 18. Like when I met him, you know, he's gotta be 50 by now. Yeah. He's 50, I think. So yeah, you, look at that. you guys are just not close creatively, but you're still like very, very close personally as well. And that's still well, we, we, we the did, case. Me and Josh, we, we recently, we just did a, a, a play, the two of us both played on Danny Elfman's uh, recent album that came out. Wait, can we do session work and stuff like Josh is particularly, Josh is a quirky, one of a kind drummer, Superman. Like it's a superpower. It's crazy. And that's like, I'm not kidding. Like, he plays with Sting for a reason. Like it's not because you know, things like, oh, you look like me or whatever. You got cool slacks <laughs> It's because he's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And you can learn anything. I mean, it's, and uh, interestingly enough, another drummer that we've used, uh, Bruce Wackerman, who's currently in uh, uh, yeah. Sevenfold. Another you know, virtuoso. Similar, oh, and exactly. And they both, those two guys knew each other growing up, of course. It's an Orange County thing. Like Josh's dad was a musician. He hired all the musicians at Disneyland. Uh, Brooks's dad was uh, at the arts school, the jazz teacher. So, you know, everyone kind of knew each other. Josh's brother's a sax player, plays a Green Day, you know, the keyboards and stuff. So, like, super talented people that were just, you know, the kind of the prodigy. I didn't have that in my house. They certainly, you know, my parents are, you know, if I wanted to be maybe a, a, a you know, super a spreadsheet superstar, I would have the, you know, the, the resources for that. But, you know, it's funny. Those, but those two guys are ridiculous. They're as good a drummer as you're ever going to see walk the fucking earth. Yeah. And, I mean, was was the kind of attention on Josh from early on? Did he start getting, you know, <laughs> pinched from the Vandals regularly from, from the early stage? Well, Josh was always a whore as far as like he was definitely, he was encouraged <laughs> by his dad to be like, hey, well, you know, it's like make a living, you know, as a musician. And half of that is, is kind of this networking kind of like, you know, you know, getting out there. The stuff, another thing I'm terrible at, Josh is awesome at. Like remembering names and this and that and keeping in touch with people and just being generally, you know, he's a fun guy, but he also, some of the, you know, obviously I'm a bit more of an introvert or whatever, but he's just, man, but he knows more people than anyone I know. Like if I meet someone, I say, do you know Josh Fries? Because, you know, that's the most like, it's Kevin Bacon. It's the most likely person they're going to know. And they always do. And he always knows. He, I don't know how. He was he played in Guns N' Roses for a while, and Axl Rose was irritated with him because every time a name came up, Josh was like, "Oh yeah, I know him. I had lunch with him three days." Like everyone, <laughs> Axl Rose was like, yeah. "I'm Axl Rose." This guy's too played, popular. <laughs> I know it's like kind of like a kind of like a bit of a rub. Like, okay, uh, 
like like almost it's it's ridiculous you can't stump them almost it's pretty funny so but as far as the band like it was like going in there you know they kind of had this uh the previous guitar player yeah you know kind of over punk rock punk rock people then tend to at a certain point want to like they're like oh i think punk rock's holding me back like that happens a lot yeah and it, which is i didn't have that problem because i was always doing other things like and my punk rock credibility wasn't about you know doing just punk rock it was about in a weird way being so not punk it's punk like okay well i'm working on a string quartet and that's you know there's no cool place to do that nowadays so obviously it's punk rock so you know or starting another band that's whatever you know like it was definitely you know i toured for a year and a half with gwen stefani uh, like on her solo album which was like the most surreal that was the that was like me going to mars as far as how far it is from the kind of environment i'm used to you know yeah I can but imagine, i'm glad yeah. i did yeah when, it, when do you start messing around in the studio warren when does that side of your creative personality begin to reveal itself because you were pretty much from the moment you joined the vandals on hand producing most if not all of the records from from your entry point on right so were you doing much yeah, we, before i came in oh, I, well i definitely i uh, worked as a um i worked as an engineer in various studios it's like, like basically any anywhere i could enter and i worked at guitar shops you know i kind of learned as much as i could and i learned how to engineer which the idea was if i can engineer a studio when the fucking person that owns it isn't there I have a studio. This is before Pro Tools and all the other shit you could have at home. So, that, so I, you know, read up on everything, learned everything, and uh, by the time I was, you know, twenty, I, you know, worked in a studio and definitely understood engineering all the principles and and a fan of music and theory. But uh, you know, during the band, I was like, the clear thing to me also, there's this kind of larger strokes as far as doing creative stuff where you go, Vandals need to do a punk record. You guys, your last record was kind of like this middle of the road like hey we're not really punk anymore but we're not sure what we are and it's fucking terrible it's it's it does you know it's like start another band and, and do the whatever that is or you know if you're the bands it's pretty clear punk rock is you know it is your genre it, it is what and, you do yeah and humor is punk rock too they get there oh, there's always a need for that commentary because pete the world's fucking stupid and, and you're never going to run out of material that was my take i go do a punk record unapologetically because also a lot of punk bands were like well we're gonna sell a little more like you too nowadays or you know maybe we can get signed and kind of be like uh what was the the theme like uh you know alternative and all that kind of shit mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah we and i was like no let's do punk which was funny because fear of punk planet came out that that was and i was like we need punk in the title of the album i mean you, you need, it needs to be very clear <laughs> and uh and same with live fast diary was that record after that where it's like Based off of, you know, live fast, I like a punk slogan. You said basically how much more punk, you know, unapologetically punk, but not because it was popular, because if we didn't, you know, it's kind of like I'm trying to think of like what it would be. Uh, yeah. It, well, it's it just be, in your face, isn't it? That's what it is. It's just yeah, like it, it, it would be like Mr. Bean going, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to um, do a whole tv special of broadway musicals even though i have no background in it you know what i mean something like that yeah. where you're you know, just like like it's just not your strong suit well it just end the tone too but yeah so that was it so josh joined around that time he's fucking ridiculous of course and he could play like the band started immediately day and night the moment he played the first rehearsal we're like holy fuck you know even if even any shortcomings we might have in certain uh, instruments i'm not going to name names uh this sounds awesome and so, uh, you know, and 
Josh was playing at Dweez with Dweezil Zap at that point too. I mean, he, he was he worked at Disneyland. He was a fucking. Is that where the Dweezil and Moon Zapper connection came from? Was it was was Josh? Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. He was a uh, uh, Dweezil was a uh, you know had uh, other members from uh, Frank's band because Frank had stopped touring at that. He was still alive at that point. And uh, the actually the place where we tracked um, uh, uh, Punk Planet was. The studio we heard about through uh, Dweezil tracked uh, his record there, so that's how we heard about it. I was like, okay, well, it was surprisingly cheap, and you know, we uh, because Josh had worked there before, we thought we'd get a deal. So that's how we ended up at Paramount. How did Kelsey Grammer get involved? Where's that connection? <laughs> that's correct, sir. Oh yes, well, with that first album, Bob too from Devo was producing the album, uh, uh, Bob Casali, and you know who's. He'd worked as an engineer for, uh, forever, and he was, you know, could run SSL. He's very legit. I mean, they're tech-savvy guys, the fucking Devo camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the record original, I think, I forget how we hooked up with him exactly. I think through Mark Mothersbaugh, because Joe's brother, who's deceased, was a art enthusiast. And so Mark Mothersbaugh does art. And so I think Joe said, hey, you should maybe produce now for us. He said, no, um, uh, Bob. Bob too is the producer guy for the band. So I think that's how it was, was arranged. And it was really cool because Diva was one of Josh's favorite bands. So he was enthusiastic about it. And we had someone kind of come in. It was certainly the next record I, I produced, but at that point I was definitely not wanting to uh, uh, overstep, you know, I had my hands full anyway uh, to uh, whip the band into some sort of punk rock <laughs> kind of deal. And also, uh, uh yeah it's like most of the songs it was basically i wrote the majority of them or the for the music for them and certainly uh you know like the guitars were the most time-consuming thing and wrote a lot of lyrics too so i had to be around for a day you know to get the vocals done and stuff so i i love doing i love i wish i sang better or if i was a good singer actually i probably would have never learned guitar but uh you know that's it so the idea was what's going on what pisses off what makes us happy what's what stupid cover songs could we do that's actually um and do a spin on it and that was that first record i did uh fair punk planet and then live fast diarrhea came very quickly after and by that point offspring and green day had become mainstream fucking multi-million selling acts and all of a sudden you know yeah. it was bizarre and we you know we were friends with offspring used to open for us <laughs> and you know we had a long term uh, uh the sweat into the oldies video too that was actually one of the more it was, I think we're the first punk band to do something like that, a long form video of that nature, with a concert video with kind of a biography. And, and that was kind of, you know, kind of, it got spread around. It's certainly like, uh, you know, we hadn't, places we hadn't toured, people would get that VHS and they would watch it over and over. And it certainly was kind of, you know, it was equivalent to probably doing a lot of touring. And uh, also it was kind of a cinematic thing. Like you get to see the band and stuff like that, which is obviously we're in the fucking future beyond the future we may as well just plug this shit into our brains nowadays but it was a a game changer it's weird though isn't it because then like just a video on mtv or you know something like that had so much more potential to elevate your band than just having your music on spotify or whatever the you know multitude of equivalents are now and well like what happened like basically you know the music became free there's napster all that shit and and then you know the, the music was because it's the you know, the least sophisticated or least, you know, kind of uh, data heavy, like it, it, it absolutely, you know, it, it basically got looted to death. It was very interesting because, which is also kind of fair, the fucking CDs, you know, like the way that what, 
they were charging for CDs at the, you know, the peak of the record industry, like the, you know, late mid nineties. Yeah. was like just highway 20, robbery. 20 pounds or so at least. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, so there's greed everywhere, but you know, it's kind of in a weird way, I prefer justice over maybe my own success. So <laughs> I'd rather watch the industry kind of go down burning than uh, maybe have a, a more secure, uh, you know, retirement plan. Which is how stupid I am, but <laughs> but it's been a good ride. Hey, there's a couple of people I'd love to ask you about. Um, Kyle and Jack from Tenacious D. How do you get oh, linked? Yeah. How do you get linked up with them? And, and you did some work with Jack on the School of Rock soundtrack as well, yeah. right? But where does that relationship begin? Well, this is, this is um, uh, Tenacious D. They were playing like I have a lot of friends that are comedians, and uh, you know the comedian. There's a let's say, there's a show called Mister Show. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I remember it. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Show. Mr. Show is interesting because that's um, one of the writers on that show was uh, I met in 1998 when when it was still kind of wrapping up and and was aware of it. And Tenacious D was kind of you know tied in with that show. They had their own you know a couple of shorts they did on HBO. But they would play. It was all the kind of the same scene. It was a uh, what's the there's a club out here. It's called um, uh, like a comedy club. Um, shit. Basically, uh, Amy Mann, the girl from Till Tuesday, owned owned it, and right. so you'd have like indie, like John Bryan, all these kind of indie kind of musicians, and you know, uh, film people and this and that. But then also comedians like Zach Galifianakis, like way back in the day, and you know, like that. That was the whole scene. Like, and there was definitely uh, Scott Ackerman, who was the uh, friend. He is actually we had a lot of mutual friends. Uh, he grew up in Orange County and was in a band with Adrian from No Doubt, the drummer of No Doubt in high school, which is hilarious. And uh, so I don't know if you know Scott Ackerman, but he's. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so, yeah. So he was in a band with Adrian Young. And uh, apparently they broke up uh, with some bitterness to where I think that they're and they're both so sensitive. They're probably so upset about it. <laughs> and uh, they were called like the Naked Postman or something. I can't remember the name. It was something terrible. But uh, so Scott. Um, he grew up, he went to Orange County, you know, like we, and we had a lot of mutual friends and, uh, he was, he's a big music enthusiast, has been from day one. And so he was the one person that was like, oh, okay. Like we had so much in common. It was like, oh, okay. We ended up being fast friends. And from there, Tenacious D was like kind of the, you know, Jack was just, Jack's like a super talent. I mean, Jack's one of those people. I mean, I don't need to say it. I mean, he's just. He's one of those was people it clear like, even when he was a young man, though, that there was just energy bubbling away beneath the surface, like he just had oh that my. thing? His first movie is a movie called Bob Roberts with uh, T uh, Tim Robbins uh, plays. It's like basically a uh, political uh, comedy satire. Uh, and Jack plays, he was like probably 16 or 17, I suppose, at the time. And he's just fucking like... Like you go, is that an actor? Or is that a fucking kid that this is this really, you know, like that walked on the set? He's just he's yeah, he's something else. And he's as far as a musician, he can sing like yeah, yep. he has a gift that is just makes all every, you know, fucking uh what do you call it, musical nerd, musical theater nerd, just you know, they may as well cry themselves to sleep forever because he's gonna come in and kill it. So and he doesn't give a fuck. He's like a rocker. So it's it's, it's funny. Uh, they would play around a lot and they didn't know anything about the industry. And I was like, I recorded some of their, sh I go, I can bring down like an eight track and like record you guys. And, you know, it's, it's easy to do. He's plugging the board. And so from doing that, like, you know, several of their shows and, you know, I saw them over and over again and they just, we all kind of became friends. And, and when they went to kind of finally do the record, the Dust Brothers were producing and playing acoustics a lot different than electric. So uh, it was funny that 
they, about day two in the studio, they uh, Dave Roll already finished the drums and they said uh, they called me to do the guitars. So, which was I was qualified and and already a big fan. So that's how it happened. And School of Rock was such a f- like successful, funny, like it, it towed the line perfectly between being like a family friendly commercial it, film, but it had it, that heart of a rock and roll movie as well, didn't it? And the credibility. He now oh, yeah, it, yeah, it was funny because I remember that you know, when it was when they were working on it, the, the, the kind of concern was like, like, you know, Jack's like, God, I hope it's the big, the, the bad news bears, but it might be the mighty ducks. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, which is, you know, it's a very narrow sweet spot that they, that they totally. And that's thanks to Jack. And basically, when, once they, he, he got uh, put on board for that uh, early, you know, before they filmed anything, we were going in and, you know, kind of uh, brainstorming and he would have a couple ideas for songs here and there and places in the script. The opening song, the song that opens a movie was just like, you know, everywhere there's music reference in the script, you kind of like take a stab at it. A lot of people worked on the movie, you know, like Liam Lynch and uh, you know, a lot of kind of probably people I should know to reference, but I, I can't remember who's on the soundtrack. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was uh, working with Jack directly was really, you know, he's just one of those people too that is, uh, it's funny because he has a stoner kind of vibe, but he's fucking like, he has a focus and a diligence that is just, you can't help but marvel at. Like he is good because he's, he reminds me of Josh. He's good because he fucking cares. And he's, you know, he's probably tortured to some degree by it, but it, it benefits all, all who see his work, you know? Do you know Matt Stone and Trey Parker? Do you know those guys? Yeah, actually I do. Uh, not particularly well, but I've, I've, you know, we've definitely crossed paths with the earth. I play guitar on, uh, their uh the movie um uh the, the movie um the, the team america one right yeah. thank you america fuck yeah the, the team america yes that was uh, which that was actually guitar cool. on that track oh yeah absolutely that that is me that that's me on the uh uh you know uh on, on in the film and uh you know uh yeah actually most of the songs on that album uh or excuse me on the movie uh uh including you know like montage and there's uh, other than the straight up kind of very acoustic or country ones that were, you know, uh, they had other session people kind of for that. But yeah, everything rock. That was me. And it was funny because George DeCrulius, uh, he was the producer of the soundtrack. He was the same guy on School of Rock. And so they got down to like, man, Dre wrote the songs, but, you know, they they were they it's they worked so hard and they're so insane. Like they had you know, there's no way in the hell they were going to play any of the instruments on any of it. You know, they were going to give it to George and you know it's insane the schedule those guys keep i mean they're another like you know i don't know that well particularly i'm a huge fan of their work and i'm stoked to have worked with them they they were very cool and very you know insightful people like as far as the way that they approach their stuff and the way that they kind of the quality process you know that where the you know it's just they're really good for a reason again because they give a fuck and and they're smart funny people that's that's my theory yeah, amazing yeah. artists as well. Even their earlier stuff, like their college film, Cannibal the Musical, that they did yeah. years ago. The songs are so great. Like, it's so well realized. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's it, from their heart and soul and personality, isn't it, to the core? Absolutely. And it, and, the, and they're funny and it's they're, 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 they're punk in every sense. Of, like, I would define them as punk in every sense of the word, you know, and it's not about obviously Mohawks and this and that, but the fact that they are just, they came in and did something that no one else had done. And no one else would even think to do with it or that would even be considered possibly, you know, 
commercial and they came in with just a perfect spirit, like, okay, this could end at any minute. So let's just do the fucking thing that we think is good. And, you know, it's, you know, here we are. They have a fucking Broadway show. I mean, everything. It's insane. And it's all good and it's all successful for that reason. Yeah. And they're psychos too, that they're willing to put out a TV show in six days. That's <laughs> not No one's ever done that. An animated show? It's the, the fact that they do it is insane. The fact that they, they do it and it's excellent and they pulled it off for so long is just, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost unfair to the mere mortals. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's just amazing to me how many people of that ilk you've collaborated and worked with. And, and earlier on, you mentioned Danny Elfman as well. Obviously, you Boingo, Boingo, you did like a serious stint in that band, right? Was that, again, how... You got to know was, Danny was through Oingo Boingo and playing in the band and touring with them. Yes, which was it was basically one of those things like we're playing other bands and this and that. It was funny because th- how they ended up with that was uh, when uh, John Frusciante left the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers manager I knew and he'd seen you know me and bands and this and that and he was kind of like you know I was definitely on his radar and so I went and. Uh, they had me audition. Obviously, I didn't get it, but it was it was a you know odd thing. Where and when Boingo was looking for a guitar player, there, uh, Lindy, the manager of the Chili Peppers, is friends with the manager Boingo. Boingo said, "Oh, you should you should have this guy," you know. We, and so I was recommended through that. I mean, I didn't know anyone in the band, and you know they were certainly much older, like fifteen years older at least. You know, they were in the forties. I was in my mid twenties, and and sure enough. It just ended up being really cool because they're fucking geniuses. Like I, the orchestral stuff, that was all everything I was so interested in doing, and is so difficult to fucking you know, uh, you know, to have do a record and have an orchestra play it and learn how to do the orchestration. Like Steve Barnett, the guitar player. I mean, he's a, you know, it's insane. They do this shit where they go up and they fucking you know, they write it out just the whole score that you would see like in a you know any classical thing. And put it in front of a bunch of musicians and conduct it, and it fucking sounds amazing. Like it, it's another one of those things that I was like, 
it's kind of a superpower. You go, how the fuck did you do that? Like, how do you make it sound like a mate, you know, what, you know, in, in, in any rock record that has like orchestral stuff, that's, you know, you know, Beatles or whatever, or fucking, uh, moody Blue, days of future past, like that kind of shit, like full legit orchestral stuff with quirky rock. That was amazing. That, that to me was the biggest honor to go like, Oh, I get to play on a record. That's got fucking, you know, another hundred people or an orchestra basically on it. And uh, I'm tinkering around my bullshit. That makes me very legitimate in a certain way. <laughs> what a life, man. What a life. And so did you get to actually jam with the chilies or did that never materialize? Did it go down the oingo boingo road? That was the nature of the audition. It was interesting because I found out about two days. It was funny. It was like, right when John Frusciante left and they, and I knew some of the road crew in this and that. I was trying to piece together, like, what it is, you know, like, should I learn all the fucking songs? Like, what, like, what are they doing? Are they going to go back on tour? Like, it was definitely more than anything, like, looking back and understanding, like, what kind of the vibe was. They were definitely, they were kind of heartbroken. Like, they were, you could tell that they had. Was this when you left for the first time, Warren, after Blood Sugar? It was that time frame, was it? Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, but, but they, they eventually filled in by Dave Navarro. Yeah. So it was, it was in that like it was funny because it ended up being like months and they had thousands of people audition i was like literally the second person audition <laughs> and uh and it was the vibe was like it was it was like i could just you know you know i moved from orange county too and it was just like there were certain like yeah i could tell they were just you know people when they're not happy and things are going not well in their life they tend to not be particularly friendly you know that was the vibe I, and looking at that time i get it I, I certainly wasn't coming in i thought they wanted to go back on tour that they had to finish and so i'm like you know came in and focused on new material and the first thing they say is like do you have any songs for us i'm like oh fuck <laughs> uh yeah i mean i sure i could but you know i didn't have like any the floating around my back pocket on the way here you know like and you know it was and yeah it was interesting and you know i'd known you know i known some of them casually they've, they've ended up being very cool people we crossed the paths with them a lot and they were uh you know it when they're not struggling to that they're actually they've been very friendly we run across them in europe and all you know all over the place and they're very like oh the vandals like were their friends from you know a previous era or something like that so well yeah they come from that same punk background don't they and, and have, have yeah. paid it back and you know with their support of off and keith morris and groups like that taking them out on oh, stadium yeah. tours and black flag uh flea was in fear for like fucking you know played bass for a few years there or i don't know years but certainly was in the band uh, before the chili peppers and uh yeah all that is uh you know it's funny because that world and offspring too is you know an, another interesting kind of thing of where the backstories of these people like punk rock people the interesting people that do stuff they're definitely already weirdos it's same with bad religion like you got a lot of weird super educated people uh you know very obsessed like you know uh, uh what's his name greg raffin and then you have also dexter who's like to keep him separated was was like it was something he was humming to himself while he was uh, doing molecular biology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> which is which Pro- is just punk professors. <laughs> exactly, and and so there's that aspect in, in a weird way because it makes sense. It's what I like about punk rock. It's like it is if you went to school and there and anyone that went to school, not Zoom, but actual school, um, you, you know, the clicks that go on, the, the least popular people are the ones that don't necessarily tightly fit into anything that's particularly uh uh you know held in high regard especially the weirdos all those weirdos they usually end up lumped together at the, you know, the same table with the people that no one likes or whatever or no one you know what i mean like it's kind of the other category 
yeah, yeah you they're, get the... they're the ones that are out there getting it done later on in life, aren't they? Because they've had that time exactly. to cultivate their exactly creative personalities it, and it, imagine that imagine that and, it, and it's kind of it is that ugly duckling story or that kind of redeemed uh uh you know the uh quality of uh uh yeah you kind of this karma kicking in but also at the same time like you know if you start off strong you know if you peak in high school um you're the going to be down <laughs> yeah if that means you're going to spend the rest of your life getting fatter and stupider uh, talking about how great those times were you know, you're going to be a nostalgia victim as opposed to um, someone who's actually, you know, going, oh, OK, well, moving on. High school was miserable. So obviously we can figure out something better, hopefully. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, thing that, that obviously I think even the people that are you know, popular in high school, I think most of those people, they know it's bullshit anyway. They're just better kind of going along with it or, you know, or more, feel more pressure to. I don't know. But when the weirdos when are, are the important um... people. When does Emily uh, and the paintbrushes project? I keep struggling to say it, man. Punk rock right. and paintbrushes. Punk rock and paintbrushes. Yes, it's a tough one. When does this collaboration begin? Uh, because just from learning the, it's it seemed to have evolved so organically and naturally and authentically, um, and it's just a beautiful collection of amazing people that are very much like you know, the maestros of their chosen lanes, whatever those lanes are, revealing a whole people. other side to their souls with this thing. Absolutely. It, it, it's kind of like Dancing with the Stars that show out here, like where, you know, you have celebrities that you know from whatever, and you have them doing something, someone that you know from somewhere, doing something you don't normally see them do. And so that's kind of a little bit of what the punk rocket paintbrush is. But more than anything, it's the fact that almost all artists, all, excuse me, all, all musicians, a vast good portion of uh you know the skateboarders and this and that all the weirdos they all a lot of them tend to do art you know and it's uh, or tend to be enthusiastic about art or you know do it as a hobby and uh you know she started off by you know doing like charity things of saying okay maybe someone contributed paintings for you know cancer and stuff like that and realized a lot of people a lot of musicians actually do you know, are serious about this stuff anyway, you know, and that would include me. I, I'd, I'd have my first gallery at showing at age 20, just because, and my whole art career kind of just came out of the blue. It's just like some weird personality defect. You like, it's like almost like a channel. Like I just could come up with horrible ideas. Like think of something that's just, you shouldn't really think about that makes you uncomfortable and then paint it. And that was my recipe. Like, you know, at age 19, even high school, I used to draw. I could think of something really fucked up to write on someone's notebook that they wouldn't find for a long time. Or, you know, that was horrifying. If, if anyone saw it, they would, you know, get kicked out of school because it was just so offensive. So that, that was my skill. It's yeah. like a Tourette's super, you know, and to go, well, what's the most fucked up thing that you could possibly do here? And, and, and that was, yeah, I couldn't draw particularly good, but I certainly had the bad ideas required to do something maybe interesting. <laughs> so I'd uh, uh, when I got my first canvas at like age 19 and I painted it and I hid it in my room. I still lived at home. I hit it, I thought my parents would have me committed once they saw it because it's a guy fucking a dog and the dog's cut in half and a woman's reaching down the throat and jerking him off. And there's a whole diarrhea landscape. And, you know, it's just fucked up, you know, uh, pornographic, like lunacy, but funny, like cartoony. Like I saw that first painting and and. From that point, like it got such a reaction from like anyone I showed you, I was like, they're like, oh my god, I'm all okay. I can get it. This is punk rock. I can do this. So I just, yeah, I, I lost my your visual film. for a second, Warren. Oh sorry. Let me turn that. Uh, there we go. Oh. 
so it it was just very much for you an extension of your you know sense of it, humor. It came very naturally. Yeah, exactly. I, like I once I got that, I got a canvas or something like and some paint for a birthday, and I was you know I did like drawing. I always mostly drew, but I was like, okay, well, fuck. I, if I'm going to have this one canvas, I'm going to make it count. So I put them did the most fucked up thing I could think with it, you know, and that was you know kind of said it you know made it happen and i found myself just at prolific i could have i had hundreds of these ideas i go well, what else can you do well, what about this i don't know what if someone's tits fell off i don't know what if i don't know maybe like instead of dogs uh they're made out of penises or what <laughs> you know, it's just the more like, out there the better yeah yeah oh yeah and it was just and the idea of the, the mostly for the reaction like the initial i would spend one day on each painting and i had i have 80 of those at least floating around you know and that was my early shows with that Robert Williams, a very famous, amazing painter, very skilled painter, uh, who did the, um, he's very well known. He's like, he, in the art world, he's like, he does all the kind of, uh, he does shit that looks so real and so amazing. And he's so fucking talented that, you know, obviously I shouldn't be in the same breath as him, but he was a fan. I had some prints of my paintings uh, at, at one of his gallery showings and he looked at him and was like, yeah, this is, I love this stuff. Like, he got me the fucking show. He told the owner, like, yeah, you do a show with this kid. So that's how that happened. And, you know, uh, La Luz de Jesus is the, you know, local gallery. And they've done, they're, as far as the kind of low brow kind of, uh, uh, you know, indie outside kind of artist stuff, they're the kings of it. And somehow I'm in that club, uh, you know, because I'm fucking, I don't know, big enough pervert or big enough skin to, you know, conjure prolific uh uh weirdo so that's what happened well for me you just seem like an artist through and through from the clothes you wear in your life to the house you live in like you know the the color is everywhere i absolutely love it man it's just a, a continuing expression of of who you are and what you love it's exactly. vibrant and it, it's infectious and if and if you like something it's like certainly it's unapologetic it's definitely it's not for everyone yeah certainly there's some people i'm friends with or certainly relationships sometimes like on wait a second whoa that's how you live <laughs> <laughs> which is you know yeah but uh you know anyone i think if you're artist that's funny the book is what's, what i love about the book is that it's an opportunity to kind of really sit down and you know not just glorify these people but look at look at the things of the characteristics the traits that that maybe were painful traits and qualities that, that people had growing up you know whether it was they, you know, they would zone out or just want to draw or had like, you know, make up stories and all that kind of shit, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's an artist. And an artist is also a weirdo. It's the same idea. If you could be if the creative people are coming up with ideas of shit that doesn't exist. That's what crazy people do. They go, you know, they're thinking, they're going, wait, there's monsters chasing me. But, you know, they're making novel connections that don't make sense. When you do it as a crazy person, that's a hallucination. You do it as an artist, you know, it's, it's fucking, uh, you know work <laughs> well i think was it einstein who said the line between insanity and success is defined by sorry the, the line between genius and insanity is defined by success and that's what uh, you're you saying know, right I, there I, isn't I, it? I think that's very true and it's very jungian carl jung kind of saying and you know it's not, not only is that true it's interesting because if, what musicians and artists are because it's all art the science, the idea, the whole eureka, the inspiration, the you know, this kind of these quests, like all what science is doing and cutting edge science is very similar. It's almost identical to artists. Like they, it's such a weird overlap that you know it's it's almost difficult to kind of figure out the difference. You know what I mean on some level. 
Yeah, I suppose there, sh- there should be some kind of like a breakdown between the separation of spirituality and science as well, because for me, where those two yep. areas meet is very interesting. They all overlap. And that, that's actually with this book. And one of the things like as far as my larger ambitions of what I would ever hope could happen is the idea like, you know, I'm a big fan of science and always have been. I've managed to kind of get myself finagled to do a few different projects with, uh, you know, uh, intellectual, you know, like scholastic kind of things. But I think that what's going on with art, like uh, scientists, especially scientists from different fields and different disciplines, they don't know how to talk to each other because they speak completely different jargon, but they need each other if they're going you know, because things are multiple, multiple disciplines. That's where an artist might come in handy to go, hey, I get the gist of this one. I get the gist of that one. So I can be the fucking translator and maybe illustrate it in a way that it goes beyond, uh, you know, the, the kind of normal you know, this is scholastic language you're using to, to uh, you know, solve things. And that's how you solve real problems. You go, hey, um, what about you nano uh, technology people? Why don't you take a look at what's going on here with, uh, uh, you know, you know, maybe some other problem we've got. I don't know, cancer or fucking uh, something more interesting. But uh, with, uh, you know, maybe uh, some space things or this and that or energy bubble. You know, there's so many interesting uh, scientific disciplines right now that are right on the cusp of, changing everything i think and they're all i think they cross the finish line around the same time it's crazy ai nanotechnology uh uh virtual reality as in its truer sense of where it's actually unencumbered uh material science and fuck there's a couple others um oh and just general uh ideas of uh complexity theory and uh you take all that and you put all those cross the finish line any one of those is a game changer for humanity all at the same time. You know, I don't know what to call it. It's very exciting. I, I, I don't find it scary. I find it fucking like, you know, it's about time. I wish it would have happened before 2020. Because, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like the, um, the, 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 the solution to all the problems really, isn't it? Because division is a big thing at the moment before the, the lockdown hit. And before we were all trapped indoors and separated, I feel exactly. like as society, we're so divided and, and you know, just at each other a lot over silly stuff at the moment. And, and Absolutely. And it is, and it's interesting because that, and it's, and it's kind of, it's a test, I think, for all of us. But, you know, there's the, you know, there's the reactionary folks and the, and the kind of maybe, you know, fear-based and hate-based kind of stuff. But then again, even if that's not you, you know, it's not an easy path. You, you know, if you, you can't just show up and go, well, there's the bad people. They're the ones, you know, with the pitchforks or the ones that fucking not wear the mask or the ones, you know, it's you're doing what they're doing. If that's what happens, it's a tricky one. It's going to be challenging for the stupid people to get less stupid and for the hopefully, um, you know, uh, what's the word altruistic and hopefully, uh, you know, degree of wisdom oriented, friendly people to really, you know, be tested also because they're going to have to, deal with a lot of fucking uh shit from people uh, that's why you're trying to help you know yeah it's a tough one we all need a little bit, little bit of peace love and understanding and empathy don't we warren a little bit more of that well yeah and it's in, 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 well, here's the thing is that the best peace that you can find is usually right after fucking the biggest fucking chaos there ever was mm-hmm. uh, the, the best feeling in the world is relief and nothing beats it because you know and if you don't believe me fucking i don't know like put a scrunchie on your dick and walk around for a day and then take it off you'll be very happy that you don't <laughs> have that on anymore so in, in that sense you know uh, that the stuff that sucks is actually you know it's 
required for things to be good. So you got to deal with dildos to fucking, uh, uh, yeah, peace, love, and understanding. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, and a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, and maybe just a tiny, and like chaos or some grit in the gears between it, or I don't know, or maybe like a gremlin there who's just kind of throwing a monkey wrench the whole time. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, something like that. We're we're interesting creatures, and life's just too goddamn weird. And so. You know, that's what art, I think, is trying to touch into. That's why I, I it's the only thing that makes sense to me, because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you can't get pinned down to met- metaphors in the same way you can with, uh, you know, weird behavior. Warren, what an amazing talk. I love this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It seems like uh, yeah. a wonderful place to, to end it. And, and um, oh, yeah. yeah, I would look, I hope I hope people this book is like it is it's unprecedented in the sense that I have a difficult time you know it's not like another album came out of this you know a tour it's something that is definitely there's no precedent so look at it and it's like the it's like the uh impressionist group of people weirdos that are doing something that is very interesting we're not even sure why but i think it's important so that's that's sorry to drag it out but that's the the book part (laughs) no and i'll I'll be sure to give it all the you know the important and necessary mentions in the introduction because I've I've been really um, impressed by just the way it offers a snapshot into each individual artist's soul and their creative personality, and I love that and, it's come out of this they, time. They, they, they all did chaos. it kind of themselves. Yeah, it's and it's like having a pizza where each person made their own piece. It's very DIY. Like it is what it represents at the same time. It's crazy. Would it's you meta. do? Would you ever do another Vandals album, a new Vandals record, or is or is that? Yeah, I, it's, it's the funny. I usually it's a lot of work because I produce it and write, you know, and you know, write most of the songs. In the past, it was always such so much fucking work, and uh, you know, and everyone's very it tend to be very opinionated, but also not c- contributing at the same time. That, that can be exhausting at some point. But um, yeah, I have uh, I've definitely wouldn't mind that. I think it it would it, as long as it was definitely felt necessary. You know, I mean, if it felt you know. If it felt like there's something to say and something that was actually time appropriate, you know, to go, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, I write songs all the time in my mind. And uh, there's a few that I think that would be good handle songs, you know, relevant nowadays, particularly with like, you know, what's going on in the world for fuck's sake. In weird way, sarcasm and satire, we're, we're, we're past that. We fucking transcended that. So maybe we could do a serious record. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is in this world we're in now, sarcasm and humor and all these things, uh, they're almost like too controversial for the world, aren't they? Just the idea of challenging something with a joke is almost too hard to handle nowadays. It, and, and it's a weird way, like, that's almost like too close to the truth. It's funny because, like, like you know, it's like the whole, you know, the nature of politics and everything, like to, to go and kind of make fun of it. I mean, it's like almost broke South Park even. I mean, like it's very, it's very difficult to come in and have a reverent take on something that's already so fucking nonsensical, mm-hmm. you know? And to, and to go like, hey, what if you turn, you know, obviously the nature of center, turn it up a tiny bit, what's going on? And you kind of see the absurdity of it. When it's already at 10, it's kind of like going, like it's, you know, sitting around going, well, what about um, this Hitler guy? I don't know. What if we like do this get like, you know, like he's like, I don't know, let's do genocide, you know? Like, it's like that you know it's like that's how f- fucking far behind it feels like like okay well that's not really satire because it's actually um you know it's, it's a lack of imagination on, on uh, the writer's room <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, Trump, bad vandals, good, right? <laughs> the moment's already yeah. been and gone. The fucking madness. <laughs> well, exactly. I feel like a post-apocalyptic. Maybe you're just like, record something. You know what? Eulogy. Uh, or a Christian record. That was the other joke we wanted to do. Like, I refer, like, like we all got born again. All we think about is Jesus. Like, that would be amazing. <laughs> I can write some good Jesus songs, too. I, I it took a lot of theology classes, so... Amazing. Well, whatever happens, hopefully you'll be in the UK this year for um, yes. for Slam Dunk, and I'd love to see you and have a chat and you know meet in person and shake your hand and and continue this conversation then. Oh yeah, and it's a congratulations on making it to the other side. Like this past year was definitely a um uh is a um you know it is post COVID whatever the fuck you want to call it. We it is a new world that it's going to be interesting to see how the old things like concerts or whatever how they feel you know what the tone is it up you know what i mean it's it's definitely uh, and also the fact that it can get yanked at any second is is will always be in the back of everyone's mind it's a it's definitely a it could be a very good thing if for at least the ability to appreciate stuff yeah no i'd agree with that 100 percent. and hopefully we've all been humbled by it and and a bit of humility is is necessary i think for gratitude yeah. and happiness isn't it yeah, and if you don't feel like being, you know, like having humility, then just you know, really find someone else to blame and and screw about it, and also believe in things that are utterly, utterly not true because you're going to troll the world because uh, you don't have good faith with any of it because you're just too pissed off and you decide it's better to be a human grown baby. There's that opportunity. <laughs> but whatever you do, do something. <laughs> yeah, you know, just get out there, so people. Come on, exercise. Yeah, the, the, the diabetes is the real problem. We got to exercise. What a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Great talking to you and a big fan of England. Love England. We, we uh, can't wait to go there and hopefully, um, uh, you know, uh, hopefully it's still there. <laughs> it's, it's not like 28 days later or whatever the fuck. <laughs> we'll be seeing each other, my friend. Have a great day and congratulations on the book. Thanks, Warren. And Christmas crackers. Okay, good night. <laughs> Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. Ha, ha, ha. Then the world turned inside out and floated around in ecstasy. Don't stop me now. Don't stop me. I'm having a good time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.